Amen. How are you feeling today, New Philly? Hey, just take a moment. Turn to the person next to you. Just get all in their space and tell them you look good today. <laughs> Introduce yourself <laughs> if you don't know them. It's kind of awkward to turn to someone you don't know. You look good today. Turn to the other person next to it. Turn to the other person that you did not compliment and tell them, hey, you know what? You look good too. Turn to the other person. Tell them they look good too. That's fine. No one, no one said it to me. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, 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 y'all just did it because I said something. <laughs> Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? You know, it says that those who are planted in the house of our God, those who are planted, they flourish in the house of our God. God's will is not just for you to go to church or to check it off on your list. God's will for you is to flourish in his house. God's will is for you to prosper. God's will is for you to enjoy him. I don't think they talk about that enough in churches, that enjoying God. That we're supposed to live a life filled with joy, not like a life that's just filled with, you know, happy moments here and there, but a life that's filled with joy. Man, God is good. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue the core values, the of a remix series. I've been gone for a minute, but now I'm back. In the words of Lil Kim, I've been gone for a minute. Now I'm back with the jump off. You don't know who Lil Kim is. That's fine. Do not look it up later. My pastor said it's okay. No, no, I did not say it's okay. But we've been going through the core values of our church. Why? Because your values determine your beliefs and your beliefs determine your actions. And it's important to know what we value as a community because that's going to determine how we live. A lot of people say, I want to live this kind of way. I want to live according to the Bible. I want to live according to the word of God. I want God to bless me, but they don't value what the word of God says. And if you don't value it, you will not live from it. If you don't value what God says to you, you don't value his words. If you don't value his truth, you won't live from it. It'll just be good teaching. Oh, that was a good message. But once you allow the word of God to be to begin to shift what you value, to shift what you believe in, it actually starts to change how you act. So much of the world uses, you know, all these different steps, every self-help book. It's nine steps to do this, 10 steps to do that. And it's all dealing with the actions. It's all dealing with the behavior. But God deals with the values and the beliefs, because that's how you really change how a person lives. And so we've been going over the core values as a house because it's important. We all may have certain values, but it's important as an ecclesia, as a church, as a gathering of called out ones. That's what the word ecclesia means. That's the word really what Jesus is referring to when he talks about a church. It's a gathering of people who have the same calling. Not four walls with some tan and black chairs, maybe some red chairs where you go and listen to this black guy preach. No, it's 
a place where we gather together because we have the same calling, same vision, same values, and we're headed all in the same direction. And so we've been going through this series because it's important to know what we value. You know, if you have certain values and she has certain values, then everyone's going off in their own direction. And before you know it, you just follow who you think has the most compelling argument. And that's how church splits happen. That's why the church is so fragmented today, because you have people walking in with this humanistic, individualistic mindset saying, well, this is what I value. I don't agree with you, but I have my own values and you have your values and I don't agree with you, but I won't judge you. But and then people just start following their own ways. Like I said, in Judges, at the end of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when everyone does what is right in their own eyes, nothing happens. No transformation takes place. The mandate that Jesus gave us doesn't really happen. So we've been going through our core values. It's been powerful, but I've been gone from the pulpit for like two weeks. It's been hard. (laughs) Pastor Gina was up here last week. She preached a powerful word. Amen. Amen. Our intern pastor, she's been getting up here and just preaching boldly. And then the week before that, Pastor Christian, our lead pastor, he preached. And I loved hearing them preach. But then a part of me was like, it's time to go. It's ready to get back up here. So we're going to go through this next core value. It's called the supernatural is natural. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him, say, hey, supernatural is natural. Supernatural is natural. That's our core value, that the supernatural is natural. You know, with God, the supernatural is natural. When healings take place, God is not surprised. When miracles happen, God is not like, oh, snap, I did not see that coming. (laughs) You know, when grace and favor and blessing go out, God is not sitting up in heaven like, oh, snap, that is weird. Actually, if you look in Revelation chapter 4, the picture of heaven in our eyes would seem pretty weird. Angels, 10,000 by 10,000, four living creatures with eyes front and back all over and within looking at God. The multitudes of people from the nations standing and they're all looking up at him and they're worshiping him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Who was and is and is to come. They look, if you read your Bible, what you see with God, man, heaven in our eyes, would look a little unnatural. The supernatural with God is very natural. It's like breathing. When Jesus, he came to earth and he was walking the earth, Jesus, he just did miracles everywhere he went. And he wasn't like, oh, man, I need to garner up the faith to do this miracle. Oh, man, this is going to be weird. No, it was like breathing. I mean, Jesus just walked through and be clean. Hey, be healed. I don't know. I imagine Jesus walking through eating a sandwich, just healing people. Just, hey, what's going on? Be healed. Hey, how's it going? You're made well right now. That's right. That's right. So back to what I was saying, Mark, you know, like it says in the, it says, I believe in John, that if we, if we looked at all the miracles that Jesus has ever accomplished, anything that he's ever done, there wouldn't be enough paper to write it on. Like in the thousand days that Jesus did ministry, there are that many miracles that we, we can't write down them all. There's so many of them. It's hard to recount. That's how natural the supernatural was to Jesus. But the funny thing is, is the supernatural is so natural to Jesus. But Jesus says, he who believes 
in him will do the works that he's doing. Wait, what? What does that mean? Some people like to say, oh, well, that just means that we will go to more nations than Jesus went to. Jesus only went to one nation. We will go to many. But if you read the Bible, you read the gospel accounts, you see that every single page is filled with miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But he says, he who believes in me, he will do the works that I am doing. He will go on to do even greater things than these. You know, you're meant to do greater works, greater supernatural works, greater miracles than Jesus. Somebody say that's crazy. That's crazy. We see in the book of Acts, we see the picture of the early church is that, man, they walked by. Peter walked by a guy and his shadow healed him. That is, that is naturally supernatural. Just to walk by and my shadow heal somebody. I would love to just walk into Starbucks, you know, and just walk through grabbing my, my caramel latte, you know, and, and somebody just, oh, snap, I'm healed. Oh, snap, I'm, I'm clear. My mind is clear. I'm just getting, yeah. Oh, Chenon, here you go. Walking back like, what's wrong with you? I'm, I'm healed. I don't know what happened. That's what God wants. The supernatural to be natural. I'm telling you this so you can get a new vision for your life. It's not to be, for the supernatural to be unnatural. It's meant to be natural, like breathing. I want you to turn to the book of Mark. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Mark today. And I want you to turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to look at the last thing that's written in the book of Mark. If you don't know where Mark is, Mark is after Matthew. If you don't know where that is, it's before Luke. If you don't know where that is, ask somebody next to you. Mark 16. I want you to read this. I want you to read this. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to just follow along with your eyes. Mark 16, 14 to 20. Afterward, this is after his resurrection, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. I mean, imagine you see the risen Lord and the first thing he has to say to you is a rebuke. That's crazy. But then he speaks to them. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes is baptized and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Not those who pray five times a day, not those who live the perfect Christian life, those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Someone say that's crazy. Oh, y'all don't think that's crazy? You, you tried to pick up a snake recently? That's crazy. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
He says, whoever believes, you will cast out demons. You will speak in new tongues. You will pick up serpents with your hands. I don't even know why he put that in there. But you will do it. And you won't get bit. Hallelujah. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. So we saw snakes. We saw rattlesnakes. We saw copperheads. I don't know if you know what those are. We saw snakes everywhere. And I was not filled with the boldness to go and pick up a snake. But praise the Lord. If I pick it up, it's not going to kill me. Well, actually, it just says that they will pick them up. (laughs) Anyways, let's keep going. (laughs) They drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And it says that they went out and they preached the gospel and they did signs. Signs and wonders accompanied them everywhere. But they didn't accompany the the superstar Christians. It wasn't just accompanying the the disciples. In fact, it just accompanies those who believe. We see in the Bible that the measure of a person's ability to perform miracles for the supernatural to be natural actually is really low. Jesus says that when we stand before him and give an account for our lives, many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not lay my hands on the sick? Did I not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That means that even non-Christians can perform miracles in the name of Jesus. You never thought about that. We've been taught in the church that the measure for miracles is very, very high. If God's going to do a miracle in your life, it's going to take a long time and it's going to be really, really hard. But we see in the word of God that the measure is actually quite low. And for Jesus, he intends for the supernatural to be natural. Someone say amen. Amen. You hearing me today? You got to wake up. This will change your life today. Many of us have been living to the standard of our experience instead of lifting our experience up to the word of God. And then we start feeling disillusioned and start feeling resentful and start feeling like church is the same old same when we read the word of God and we don't believe it. When the word of God doesn't call us to just attend church on Sundays, it calls calls us to live a supernatural kind of life. And it doesn't say that it's hard. It says it just accompanies those who believe. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel kind of giddy. That changes the way that I feel when I walk outside. When I see someone who's sick, when I hear from someone that they're not feeling well, all of a sudden I know, ooh, it's able. God wants it. I want us to look at a couple mindsets that get in the way, though, because ultimately, We see the truth here is that God wants us to live a supernatural, a naturally supernatural life. But what gets in the way really is our mindsets. Like I said, what we believe, what we value, it determines the way we act. So I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1. So you're in the the last part of Mark. I want you to turn to the first part of Mark. We're going to look at a few stories, a few encounters that Jesus has. To deal with these various mindsets that towards God and also towards others that prevent us from living supernaturally. Who wants to live supernaturally? Who wants it? I don't know about you. I want it. Mark 1, 40 to 45. We're going to look at this story first. 
The stories are back to back. Mark 1, 40 to 45. I'm just going to read it. And a leper came to him, meaning Jesus, imploring him. And kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. I like the NIV. It says moved with compassion. It's a better translation. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to know anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. He went out and he didn't do what Jesus said. He told he told everybody. <laughs> he did it so much that Jesus could not enter. He could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. He had Jesus out in desolate places, his big mouth. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let me pray for us really quick. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a light. It's a lamp. It's meant to lead us. It's meant to show us the way that we are to live. It's meant to give us new direction and new hope. Your word is meant to nourish us. Your word is meant to build us up. Your word is meant to call us into the life that Jesus you paid for. So God, I pray that as your word is preached and your word goes out, that every heart would be made wide open. God, I come against every demonic attack, Lord, that would try to keep your people from this word. Lord, we know that the enemy is afraid of your people living supernaturally. We know, God, that he would rather us live in the flesh, but God, you desire for us to live in the spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and move powerfully in this place today. Yes, establish us in the truth. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we see in this story that Jesus, I'll give you some context. Jesus was, he had just came, he started his ministry, and he is on a preaching tour. He is on a, not a world tour, he's on an Israel tour. You know, he's doing better than Justin Bieber. Like, everyone is coming to Jesus. And he's preaching the word, and everyone's like, this is mind-blowing. I've never heard anyone say the stuff he's saying. And then he's casting out demons, and I'm like, oh, snap. I knew that person was jacked up. I didn't know it was demons. And Jesus is casting out demons. He's doing all these amazing things and he's finishing up and he's walking through. And all of a sudden, as he's walking through, a leper comes up to him. Now, most of us, when we read the Bible, we look at this word leper and we just kind of overlook it. Well, leper. Yeah, I think I have an idea what it means. What does it mean? But I'll give you some facts about leprosy. Leprosy was this this very, very painful disease, a skin disease is kind of from, from the inside out where your skin would literally rot off. And you would have white, painful white sores all over your body. So much so that you were almost unable to function. And in the society in that time, they were really afraid that, that this leprosy was very contagious. That it could spread from one person to another. It was painful. It was all over their body. They usually had to wrap themselves up. And, and people, whenever they saw a leper, it was just, it was just like, oh, people were disgusted. Not only that, but leprosy, it left severe scarring all over the body. It caused permanent disfigurement. So this guy, he's got all these sores all over his body. He's got all this pain and suffering, and these scars are going to last. Whenever he gets healed from it, whenever it goes away, if it goes away, he's always going to have the markers of being a leper. But not only that, it had social an emotional toll as well. 
I know probably no one in this room has ever struggled with anything like this, but like leprosy, but I'll give you something maybe to bring it down to maybe some of our levels. You, you remember the first time you got a pimple? I remember mine. It was sixth grade. And I remember it was, it was that Monday. And I remember that Monday I woke up from my bed and I turned because I slept on my stomach. And I turned and on my nose, I, it felt like someone punched me in the nose. And it hurt. And I couldn't figure out why. I was like, oh, what's wrong with my face? Like, why does my nose hurt? And I, and I touched my face. But, like, I felt like something was there. But I wasn't quite sure what it was. And, you know, in all the health, and health education classes, whenever they talked about acne, I was like in the back, like, ah, that's not going to happen to me until it happened. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and I was like, oh, no, like, what is this? And I walked past my mom who's in the kitchen and she sees me and she starts following me. She's like, hey, hey, what is that? What is that? What is that? I'm like, mom, what? get away from me. Get away from me. And then I go to the bathroom and I look in the mirror and I see this blemish. And it's like covering up half my nostril. And I'm like, oh, snap, what am I going to do? I got to go to school. You know, and it's sixth grade, so, you know, you're changing. And, you know, before then, girls were, like, really weird. Like, just get away from me. Get away from me. <laughs> you know? And so I remember, I remember I step out of the, I step out of the bathroom, and my mom... But I wasn't that big as a, as a kid. My mom was definitely bigger than me. She grabs me. She throws me on the bed. And she puts her knee on my chest. And then she starts to try to pop the blemish, the pimple on my face. And I'm screaming. I'm, 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 I'm yelling. I'm trying to put my mom in an arm bar or a wrestling move. Like, mom, get off me. Get off me. Get off me. She's like, just, just one more second. Just, I almost got it. I almost. And then she gives up. Because obviously it just came up that morning. Okay, and I go into, I go into the bathroom to look again, and obviously all of that squeezing just brought all the blood in my entire body to that one spot, and so the inflammation was so great on my nose, like I had to look, I had to move my nose to look around, and I was like, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And then, so I did what any, you know, sixth grader in that moment would do. I was like. Mom, I can't go to school. I got the black lung. I can't go. I got bronchitis. I got sinusitis. I got everything. Mom, I got a fever. Like I'm like putting like hot towels on my head. Mom, I got a fever. She's, she just laughs at me. She's like, boy, you better get out of here and go to school. I get to school. Right when I walk to the door, I'm just like, now, I didn't, I didn't believe in God in that time, but I definitely believed in the devil. Because as soon as I saw these two girls, this girl named Shaniqua and Marcrish. That was their name. Shaniqua and Marcrish. They won't hear this podcast. Don't worry. And I remember as soon as I saw Shaniqua and Marcrish, I was like, I'm in trouble. And as soon as they saw me, they looked at me and they said, hey, what's up, Rudolph? What's going on, Rudolph? Are you going to lead us through the snow, Rudolph? And I was like, don't feel sorry for me. The Lord has healed me. But I remember that shame. I remember that rejection. I'm sure there's some of you, even in this room right now, that because of things that people have said regarding your appearance, you're still living insecure because of it. 
Now imagine that, those feelings that you've had times a thousand. Imagine those feelings into such a degree. I want to read a quote from you from a scholar named Wendy Cotter. She wrote, The fear and disgust on the faces of people and the expectation for distance would have resulted in certain loneliness for a person who was a leper. The end of intimate relationships. And for the Jew, the separation from one's community for prayer and simple social intercourse. Because Levitical law says that if you are a leper, you get cast out. Regardless of whether or not you have children, regardless of whether or not you have friends or family, it doesn't matter. You're a leper. Get out. A scribe from the second century, he wrote, Seeing another person who has this, leprosy, signifies grief and worry. For everything that appears repugnant and hideous is heartbreaking and depressing to look at. Even when Mark is sharing this story in the book of Mark, people hearing it, they probably pulled back in disgust because they're thinking, oh, man, a leper? Oh, this guy? I mean, can you imagine that's who you are? That's what people think about when they see you? It all flowed together in this stigma that this guy carried. Self-hate, loneliness, the end of his personal relationships. He didn't have family or friends. There's a stigma. He's not supposed to get near to anyone. But this man approaches Jesus. He approaches Jesus. He has every reason to doubt, every reason to believe that Jesus is going to be like every other priest and rabbi. Because in the Levite law, whenever you're a leper, you go to the priest and the the rabbi looks at you. The priest looks at you. He says, you are a leper. You got to go. And he's going up to this man, Jesus, who he knows is also called teacher, rabbi. He knows that this man is a priest. He walks up to him with every Every idea in his mind that this guy is going to be just like everyone else. But let's look at Mark 140. Mark 1 verse 40. It says, a leper came to him imploring him. That means begging him, kneeling to him. And he said, if you will, you can make me clean. He's asking for the supernatural. But before he asks, he says, if you will. You can make me clean. And I want to focus right here on that particular part. If you will, you can make me clean. Because this is one of the central issues in terms of our view of God moving supernaturally in our lives. He says, you can make me clean. And the word for can there is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Jesus uses it in Acts chapter 1 to say you will receive power, dunamis. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This guy doesn't doubt whether or not Jesus can heal him he doubts whether or not jesus wants to heal him and for many of us our issue is not in understanding whether or not god can do it we know god's powerful we know that he's almighty we know that he can do whatever he wants he's god that created heavens and earth but our doubts are whether or not god wants to move supernaturally god do you want to heal me god do you want And so this changes the way we pray. Many of us have been taught when we pray for healing, we say, well, God, if it be your will, please heal. God, if it be your will, please open that door. If it be your will. And here in this house, we don't pray that way. But for many of us, we've taken out the language of if it be your will, but we still keep the heart. So we pray and we declare and we know that God can, but our doubts are whether or not he wants to. 
God, do you want to heal? Do you want to break into my family? Do you want to break into my workplace? Do you want to break into my finances? Do you want to? Are you willing, God? That's our chief struggle. Not that God could, but that God would. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. I want you to write this one down. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. It's not overcoming a God that doesn't want to move. It's laying hold of his willingness. You know, I said it that many times because you should start meditating on that. That prayer is not overcoming his reluctance. The leper approached Jesus and he was thinking about trying to overcome his reluctance. If it be your will, if you want to. And then Jesus says to him, I want you to look. Mark 141. Jesus responds to him. Because see, the good news is that even when we doubt whether or not God is willing, God is willing. Mark 141, it says, move with compassion. Jesus stretches out his hand. He touches him. He touches the guy whom you're not supposed to touch. And he says, I will be clean. Jesus was willing. That word will means want to, desire. You know, Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to move supernaturally. He wants the supernatural to be natural in your life. He touches him. He breaks the law. He touches him and says, I will. I want this for you. Be clean. And it says immediately he was clean. Acts, Isaiah 30, 18 says it like this. It says that the Lord, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. God longs to be gracious to you. I want you to get this. God sits up in heaven right now and he longs. He wants to. He's like, oh, I just want to be gracious. I want everything, every fiber in my being wants to bless you with supernatural favor. Everything in my fiber, my being wants to bless you with supernatural health. I want to give you a supernatural marriage. I want to give you supernatural friendships. I want to give you supernatural lifestyles and relationships. And I want you to see it everywhere. I long to be gracious to you. That word gracious, it, it's, it has everything in it. It has health. It has your financial provision. It has joy. Joy. God longs to give you joy. Acts 10.38, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He can, but Jesus went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. I mean, Jesus walked around saying, he woke up each morning saying, hey, who am I going to set free today? Who am I going to touch today? Who am I going to, who's going to receive a greater grace today? I'm trying to encourage you right now. And it says in Hebrews thirteen eight that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
meaning that the same God who wanted to do that then, he wants to do that now. For many of us, we've been trained to not believe in the goodness of God. We've been trained to believe that God's not willing. But he's willing. He's willing. The leper, he broke the law to get in front of Jesus, and he still had this feeling, are you willing? And Jesus said, I'm willing. Let's keep going. Mark 142. It's not just that you need to get the fact that God's willing, but you need to get that God is for you, that he's able. I want you to look at it. Mark, Mark 142 says immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus immediately made this man clean. By all standards in the word of God, by all standards in the context of that day, this is an impossible feat to happen instantaneously. Now, there is precedent for people being healed of leprosy in the Bible. We see it. You go out until your sores dry up and then you're examined and then maybe you can come back in. But for it to happen instantaneously, what? It's crazy. Some historians, they write that there were various kinds of treatments, bombs, ointments that people would put on their skin. Growing up, I had this disease called eczema. How many people have heard of eczema? I don't know. What, what do they call it in Korea? Atopi. Did I say that right? And as a child, I had to wear bandages on the whole entire bottom, bottom half of my body because the eczema was so severe. I would wake up in the morning with, open, with, my, with my sheets covered with blood and with my own skin in my nails. And I remember, wake, I remember walking around and I would always have to wear pants to cover up the scars and to cover up the wounds. And I remember one day I accidentally wore, I wore shorts. I wasn't thinking about it. And I remember someone walks up to me and, and they're like, hey, is that contagious? That was the first thing someone wanted to ask, you know. Not, not what, how are you? Does that, are you okay? What, no, is that contagious? Is that going to get on me? I, I remember I used to do so many I used to do so many different kinds of treatments that I used to have to go to. We had paid so much money and then we had this one particular bath. It was an oatmeal bath. I had no idea that you could bathe in oatmeal. Did you know that? <laughs> All the sisters are like, Yeah, the brothers are like, That's nasty. <laughs> Imagine like a jar of Quaker oats just And uh, my mom used to, she used to dunk me in, in almost scalding hot oatmeal baths. That was the only thing that would soothe it. And that's what started to bring healing to my body. Some historians talk about how there was a king, that whenever a king, the historian Pliny the Great says that whenever a king would get leprosy, it was bad news for everyone in the city. You know why? Because the king would kill off his inhabitants enough to make a tub full of warm human blood. And he would dunk people in it. To bathe. Isn't it funny that kings would kill their inhabitants to heal themselves, but our king gets killed. He gets killed so that we can be healed of our lepers. His blood heals us of our spiritual condition. His blood covers us and makes us have access to the power of God. I know that's that's a grim analogy, but the Bible's grim. Have you ever read it? Why I'm saying this? Because there's nothing, there's no power greater than the power we have access to by the blood of Jesus. 
Isaiah 53, it says that by his stripes we are healed. You know, this changes everything. This information, this revelation should change everything. Because when we see that Jesus went to the cross so that we would have access to this supernatural lifestyle, so that we would have access to this kind of supernatural covenant and relationship and type of living, we recognize that God is for us and he's not against us. We recognize that God is for us living this kind of life. Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Someone say all. all. You know what all means in the Greek? All. Everything. That means that whether it's prophecy, healing, breakthrough, joy, health, financial provision, we got to shift out of our mindset where we're afraid or we think that God is not willing to do these things. We have to shift out of our mindset, even where we continue to chalk up our failures and our disappointments and our obstacles. Because God's for us. And if God's for you, who can be against you? When Satan comes against you, that means that you don't have to worry about that. When you're in a, an environment where you feel like people are debaucherous and where you can't shine your light, you know, God's for you. Who can be against you? By the blood of Jesus, we have access to a supernatural kind of life. That's what makes the supernatural natural. That's what heals us. That's what sets us free. That's what gives us this new life. Leaders, I need you to get this. I need this to become second nature because the world teaches us that all you should expect is negativity and poverty and despair and being crushed and everything going against you. But the Bible tells a different story. He says, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Does it even matter? Because God's for you. The second thing we got to look at is our mindset towards other people. Once we realize that God is willing and God is able, God is for us, that's actually not enough because you can live that supernatural lifestyle. You can have the breakthroughs and then forget about anyone else. But this Christian life isn't all about us, right? It's actually about one, us encountering God and then through us, God encountering other people. I want you to look at the next story. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a paraphrase, but I want you to just look over it. This is a really famous passage as well, because it talks about where Jesus, because, you know, big mouth leper who gets healed, he gets, I want to tell you, he gets healed. And what happens when he gets healed? He's able to reenter community. He's able to re-enter the family. He's able to go back to his wife and children. He's able to go back to where he was outcast. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. That's what the supernatural power of God does for us. It allows for us to live the life that we should be living. And so he enters back in. He tells everybody, and Jesus said, listen, don't tell nobody. He tells everybody, Jesus can't go anywhere. But then Jesus gets to a place in Capernaum, and he sits down in this house. It says that Jesus... 
arrived home, actually. It was reported that he was at home. I don't know if Jesus had like a studio apartment. I don't know what he had. But he got home. And it said that so many people were gathered that you couldn't get into the place. And so you have this situation where there's so many people. And then there's this guy. It says they're four friends. You know the story. Maybe some of you don't. Four friends, they have a friend who is paralyzed. He cannot move. And his friends pick him up and they take him to where Jesus is. And they take him to where Jesus is and they see that there's too much going on. So they go up on the roof. They dig through the roof and they lower him down. Jesus sees him. He says, your sins are forgiven. And he heals him. I want to I want to share with you real quick. I shared with you some facts about leprosy. I'm going to share with you some stuff about paralysis. You guys should learn something. This is this is good. This. Most of us know what paralyzed means, but in the context of that time, a person who was paralyzed was a social outcast. They never left their home. They actually never left their home. They always were separated. The family usually put them in a separate room where no one saw them. And so they, us- they usually lived most of their time in the dark, alone, isolated. I mean, this guy, he's paralyzed. He has no ability to come to Jesus. Not only that, but most historians talk about how this guy who was paralyzed in the ancient times, there, wasn't, there were no wheelchairs. There were no means for him to get around, which meant that he laid in a cot every day waiting to die. Hopeless. That, doesn't that sound like people's lifestyles outside of the house of God? Hopeless, just waiting to die. YOLO. YOLO is stupid. (laughs) I'm living it up now because I'm just waiting to die. There's no hope in that. And absolutely powerless to come to Jesus. Your friends, your family, your loved ones, the people in your workplace who don't know Jesus, I want to tell you the truth. Apart from Christ, they are powerless to know him. They may come to church. They may come. You may come every day. You may come every single week. But if God doesn't, you don't encounter God. If it's not his power that moves on your behalf, you're powerless to know him. You don't. Being a Christian is not. I I went to church every day since I was a young kid. You can go to church every single day for the rest of your life and not be a Christian. This guy was powerless to know God, powerless to know Jesus. And he was hopeless as well. And then here's the most interesting thing. Historians say that this paralyzed guy also, he probably didn't know who he was. Why is that? Because in modern psychology supports this. It says that whenever a person, there was this guy who did a study in the 1960s where he left and he, a psychologist, he left and he lived in a cave for 90 days. And after a while, he at the end of 90 days, he, apart from social interaction, apart from everyone, at the end of 90 days, he thought he was in the cave for 60 days. He did the same things over and over and over. He was just there in the cave, 90 days, eating food. And then what they also found was not only did the guy lose track of time, but he also started to experience dementia and amnesia. Because when you don't make new memories, you actually lose your capacity to remember When you don't step out, when you don't, when you are powerless, when you are hopeless, when you are doing the same religious things over and over and over, you know what starts to happen? You start to forget. 
when you're outside of the house of God and you're doing your same things over and over and over, but you're not having that supernatural encounter, you start to forget. This guy, he was hopeless, he was powerless, and he had no idea who he was. I'm sure there are people that you can think of right now that fit that bill. But these four friends, they look at him, and they're not okay with their friend dying like this. They hear about this Jesus who is willing to heal and able to heal and for them. And they say, you know what, Johnny, check it out. You've been laying there for far too long. Come on, guys, let's pick him up. They pick up his actual bed. They carry him outside. And that means that there's a stigma. People were probably jumping away because paralyzed people as well were seen to be depressing to look at. So people turned away when they saw him. And then they get to where Jesus is and there's so many people. And you, you know what most of us would have done in that situation? We'd have been like, okay, you know what? It's too full. I think we got to take him back home. You know what? You know, there's more than enough Christians in the earth anyways. I don't really need to step out. I mean, I like, the, I like my church the way it is. I like it the size it is now. There's enough people with Jesus now. Why should I step out? They, but they didn't even let that stop them. Instead, what they did was they climbed up on the roof. And Lydia, can you come up and just, just play the keys? I'm going to bring this message home. They come up. And they, they go up on the roof. See, these guys, they, they, were, they knew that Jesus was willing. They knew that he was able. But then they also were willing to make a way for their other friend. And here's where I think the supernatural is natural for most of us. We, know, we may even know Jesus is able. We may even know that Jesus is willing. But what we do is we're not necessarily willing to get up on the roof. And carry someone else to Jesus. I know you guys have probably heard this story before. So when you think of this story, you think of them getting up on this, this straw hut, right? They got up on this straw hut and they, they just removed the straw. So easy. Oh, it's so easy. Oh, here, let's just remove some of these straw pillars and we'll lower him down. That's no sacrifice. But the truth of the matter is, just use some common sense. Five, well, four men that probably each, all of them weighed over 100 pounds each, which means standing over Jesus was over 500 pounds. This was not some little dinky straw roof. In fact, it was made out of a mixture of mud, straw, and stone and wood. And the word of God says that they dug through the roof. This is offensive. Jesus is preaching a sermon. They interrupt Jesus' sermon, digging through the roof. (laughs) What am I trying to get at right now? What I'm trying to get at is that for other people to experience God and experience the supernatural aspects of God, you've got to dig through some walls. For many of us, we're expecting God to make it easy, but these guys, they didn't want it. They saw that they needed to dig, and they just started digging. They were destroying someone else's house. And when Jesus looks at them, it's because of their faith that he heals him. He forgives their sin. He forgives his sin. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then all of a sudden, the Pharisees rise up. Who is he? What is he doing? He's blaspheming. You know, 
because the difference of mindset between the Pharisees and the friends is that the Pharisees, when they looked at the paralyzed man, all they saw was his sin. All they saw was how jacked up he was in the sight of God. But when the friends saw him, all they saw was his need for Jesus. And they were willing to dig through whatever they needed to dig through to make sure that that encounter happened. When you look at people, is all you see their sin? Is that all you see? Or do you see their need for Jesus? If you see their need for Jesus, you'll dig through whatever walls in order for that encounter to happen. And I want to tell you something. There's good news because we know that when we come to, to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in us and, and we experience God. And Jesus actually, Christ in me, the hope of glory, meaning that Jesus lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit, which means that the people we encounter in our workplace, in our family, on the street, they're simply one wall away from an encounter. Whether that wall is fear, whether that wall is hurt and pain, whether that wall is religion, whether that wall is deception, they're just one wall away from experiencing an encounter with Jesus through you. And the question is, are you willing to dig through some walls? I know supernatural is natural. It's so great for us. And we can get so built up by knowing God is for me. I love that God's for me. It makes me feel all warm on the inside. But these guys, they said, you know what? These people on the outside, these people that I encounter every day, man, they need an encounter. You know, the Pharisees, you know, when you see a person's sin rather than their need for Jesus, you build a wall rather than breaking a wall. You know, God has given us as a house amazing words, amazing prophetic words, amazing words about our destiny as a community that all the, the, the people in Itaewon, the people who are struggling with loneliness, with lust, who are struggling with feelings of rejection and judgment. In Itaewon, for more than, not, not just one year, but for centuries, Itaewon has been seen as the area where the rejects live. Itaewon has been the place where they send the people who don't look like everyone else, where they send the lepers, where they would put the paralyzed. But God says, you know what? You guys are meant to be the friends that pick them up, carry them to where Jesus is, and break down the walls. When that happens, that's when the supernatural becomes natural. When that happens, see, it's not about so much God. I don't need to preach to you about whether or not God can. It's about understanding that God's willing. But then ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not even so much about God's willingness as much as it is about ours. It's not even so much about us taking hold of God's willingness, but rather God taking hold of ours. I want us all to pray right now.